This is DJ Evil Dave, and you are listening to the Dark Corner Podcast, only on darkcornerpodcast.com. I give up on trying to find my way, the paths are hard, shade of grey, lost like a needle of mud's fade, the darkness bursts suddenly as bright as day, we will turn the night into day, we will dance, Hello, listener. Well, hello. That is Brandy over there. <laughs> In case you didn't know. And I am Dave over here, and you are listening to the Dark Corner Podcast. Welcome. Yes. We're going back to the tarot. Yes. So about 45 minutes from now, <laughs> we'll be talking about the Hanged Man, the 12th card of the tarot, so stick around for that. In the meantime, we're going to do some of our usual pop culture discussion stuff, reviews, news, etc. Yeah. Anything banter-wise? No. No? No. Other than hitting the summer heat? Oh, God. It was like 100 degrees yesterday. I yeah. mean, it wasn't like 100 degrees. It, it was, was 100, 100 degrees. degrees. I'm burning some leave with some vacation, so I've been doing some housework and yard work. Yeah, you clean floors and shit, man. Yeah. Managed to mop a few floors and uh, do a little bit of sprucing. There Ta- has been <laughs> sprucing, guys. Yep. I think yesterday I tossed some old VHS that I'm never going to use. Oh. So like the old mystery science theaters oh. and episodes of the monkeys. Oh. It's just like, what are hey, we going to watch it on? those were mine. Yeah. You I should have them asked for, me. Would you want to keep them? Well, it's too late now, isn't yeah. it? I but still have Don't the... throw my shit away without telling me. Okay. Well, I'm keeping your Disney stuff in the old big boxes. Oh, damn, yeah. You, those are like those are collector worth items. a shit ton of money now. Yeah. It's got that little mermaid cover with the penises in yeah, it. Yeah, which I understand is worth something. Anyway. But yeah, I tossed the VHS because why? Nostalgia. I think you still got a couple of VHSs of yours down there. But since we can stream most things i don't know where you can watch the monkeys these days imagine it's on i think there's a rhino channel it's probably on that oh well that would make sense so if you ever want to watch old episodes of the monkeys well all episodes of the monkeys are are old episodes yes (laughs) that'd be sad because when they did come back briefly with what in the 80s they had the that was then this is now Mm -hmm. album it's just like meh. <laughs> no, actually, that the album that was a single first. Yeah, yeah. But the album that it came from is much better than that song would lead oh, you good. to believe. Good, good, good. So, because yeah, when you hear the monkeys, you expect to hear the monkeys, but they had this very eighties sound because they updated. Well, that's because you're not gonna do the. You're not. It's not possible to have that same sound. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Because they were working with inferior equipment. Yeah, they were working with the old 60s stuff. Yeah, so of course that sound is going to change. Yeah. You would have to work really hard to make it sound that retro, and I just, why? Yeah, before they had multi-track recording. Progression in music is just a fact of life. And there's no particular virtue in doing things the way they've always been done. Like early synth pop and electro pop, they could record probably maximum on six tracks, mm. which is why everything sounds so minimal and analog. Yep. 
So stuff like Heaven 17 or the Human League, you know, they have this stripped down minimal sound because that's all you could do. Like early Gary Newman stuff is like that, too. Pretty much all music of that era is like that, These in one days, way or another. Yeah, you could record unlimited number of tracks. Yeah. We so. could, through Audacity or you know, GarageBand, record unlimited number of tracks, essentially. Yes. Let's just add so many layers to yep. the podcast that people have to listen to it multiple times to separate out all of the additional tracks that have all of this secret stuff in it. Yep. So yeah, we record our conversation on mono, and then any music is in stereo. And then I mix and render as stereo. Technical stuff for yep. you guys out there who are wondering. So and by guys, I mean people, people. not guys as in men. Uh, dudes. Isn't dudes the gender? No, it's folks. Yeah, folks. I like folks. folks. Hey, folks. People. So I should uh, introduce tonight at the loft. Good evening, folks. Mm-hmm. Though like it might it. sound like good evening, fucks. No, <laughs> it won't sound it. like fucks. <laughs> Folks and fucks do not sound that close together. I could also go people, you people. That'd yeah, but that just sounds aggressive <laughs> for some reason. Good evening, you people. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that really does sound aggressive. <laughs> I think that's what uh, Yo Is This Racist was calling their listeners for a little bit. You people. Just funny. I'll just say good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and everything in between and outside of those pronouns. <laughs> yeah. Or I should say anyone in between and outside of those pronouns. Carbon-based life forms. There you go. That's the one. Non-gender specific, non-sexual identity specific, mm-hmm. non-any... That's just as neutral as you can be. Brings their support animals. They'll be included too. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Yep. And All any inclusive. parasites. All inclusive. Yeah. Excellent. Go with that. Uh, shall we get into some news and reviews? Let's do that thing. Video gaming. Yar. I've gone back to Grand Theft Auto V because there's a couple of achievements I hadn't managed to get. One of them being the solid gold, baby, which is when you get a, a gold medal in 70 missions and or strangers and what's the other freaks and strangers, strangers and freaks, something like that. It's just people you, you encounter randomly and it triggers a mission. Oh, right. Okay. So side quests. Yeah, they're essentially side quests and then you have miscellaneous things on top of that. But yeah, and uh, there's a glitch with the Xbox... 360 Grand Theft Auto thing where eventually you can't replay missions. So I kind of had to replay as I went, hoping I would get under those 70. And once I hit 70, it's like, holy crap, I still have a whole bunch of missions and strangers left. <laughs> so like hit the achievement. It's like, huh, I worked harder at that than I really needed to. It wasn't that difficult to get 70 gold. So it's kind of weird that I missed it the first time, probably because it wasn't replaying missions. Mm. So the other one achievement I need to get that isn't you know online or multiplayer or anything like that is to spend two hundred million dollars between the three characters. Oh yeah, that can be tricky because it's difficult to make money once you're outside of the game itself. I mean, you can through 
properties and that sort of thing. And you can make a little bit of extra money playing the market if you're lucky. So it's basically a, a lot of waiting around yeah, for investments to pay off. You make a certain amount of money, I think, per day through investments and then weekly through property management. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot to get up to, you know, twenty million dollars. I could even be mistaken. It might be two hundred million. I think it is two hundred million. I, well, I thought you said two hundred million the yeah. first time. Yeah, it is two hundred million. Because if it was twenty million, I would have already done that. But yeah, it's two hundred million through the three characters you need to spend to get an achievement. Crazy. But yeah, I'm still since I replaying, there's still scraps of paper to solve a mystery I need to find. There's still pieces of a spaceship I need to find. There's still jumps. Her eyes got big when I said pieces of a spaceship. There's a whole side mission about the Epsilon group, which is basically Grand Theft Auto 5's take on Scientology. Okay, right. They even have the blue outfits. Mm-hmm. So their whole involvement with finding the pieces of the spaceship to leave Earth <laughs> she's got a finger over her lips and she's just looking at me trying to contain that's because i have a story that'll go with that oh n- excellent <laughs> i just recently uh defeated a cult that was up in the mountains very kind of charles mansony mm-hmm. and uh the leader's an old guy who wears no pants or no. underwear. Oh, wow. So he is freeballing. Yeah, he's freeballing. Wow. Yeah, when you finally take him out and go up to find him in his little guard tower, he's uh, he's porky-pigging it. Oh. <laughs> Which is a bit of a shock if you don't expect it. I kind of remembered him doing that, so it wasn't too big of a shock. It's just still funny. That is... Uh, wow. His block and tackle are just kind of dangling there. His twiggenberries. Yeah. So yeah, I've been playing some Grand Theft Auto Five. Yeah, guys, I've been trying to get him to upgrade to a better system, but... Oh, excuse me, folks. Uh, how about your own video gaming? Bethesda has been really cool where Skyrim and Fallout 4 are concerned by allowing people to create mods, and you can actually download them from... Ooh the menu in the games and so i have been having a hell of a good time with mods in fallout 4 <laughs> fun there are some that will conflict with each other and you know there is a warning at the beginning saying you play with mods at your own risk right it could cause problems uh one of the things that i love and i wish that they would expand this to include all settlements is pre-walled sediment settlements oh. Because I am always building walls around all of my settlements uh-huh. so people can't just run in. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I usually set up turrets guarding those walls, etc. And now, um, at least in the main game, it's not in the downloadable content. Most of the settlements will just have walls around them already. Oh, good. A specific entrance. It's a nice time saver. It is a nice time saver. There's also one that gives you a uh, jetpack outfit that you can use without having to wear power armor all the time. Because I hate wearing power armor. It's clunky, it's annoying, and your your markers, um, because there are quest markers, like there'll be markers when you're trying to get to a specific item within a building or whatever. Uh But when you're in power armor, it won't tell you if it's above you or below you. When you're outside of power armor, it will. So I kind of hate power armor. Right. And don't you kind of get that weird 
like rocking motion when you move in power armor. Well, you you get that with any video game, okay. no matter whether you're in power armor or yeah, not. Yeah. And and the thing is, is that it's like, oh well, it gives you protection against radiation. Well, so do a lot of perks mm. if you max them out. And that's another thing that I've been having fun with is this one that's just like, here are all the perks. Oh. Choose which ones you want. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't just go in there and activate all of them. I still like a bit of a challenge, uh-huh. but I'm just like, fuck this. I'm going to have pick lock at level five. Thank you very much. So my poppy pins don't break, uh-huh. you know, and stuff like that. Just um, convenience things. Yeah. Convenience things that just make the, uh, the thing more enjoyable. But anyway, yeah. this, this jet pack, uh, this jet pack suit Looks like the Nuka Girl oh, nice. rocket suit. So you got cleavage happening, bare midriff. Ah. I would love to see a guy in that, actually. My character is female. And and it's it has it doesn't take away from your action points, which the power armor jetpack does. Uh-huh. And uh, you could literally just keep flying upward until you hit the ceiling of the game and oh, are wow. forced back down. Huh. So that's been fun. It's like, hey, Fallen Skybridge, fuck you. I'm coming up on my jetpack. I'm not going to find that stupid fire escape and all that hidden path just to get up there. I'm coming up on my jetpack. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Grand Theft Auto when you just steal a helicopter going, I'm not going to climb to that top of the mountain. I'm just going to grab a helicopter and go up there and find a place to land. Yeah, just going to fly here. Yep. So that's been really fun. Uh, one that I just started playing with is the Smooth and Clean Settlements. Oh. And basically, it removes most of the junk in a settlement huh. and just leaves you as flat a space as possible to just build shit. Wow. That's very cool. Which means I don't have to spend an hour going around and scrapping everything. Yeah. Once again, convenience. Yeah. There, and I use that with another mod that removes the build limit for each settlement, Ooh. so I can build as much shit as I want. But you'll get to a certain point where you start to get the jaggies when you have oh, yeah. too much stuff. You're overloading the, uh, yeah. the actual software, hardware. Yeah. Uh, the first time, because the first settlement you come back into after you come out of the vault in the year, what is it, 2079, whatever it is. Uh, no, 22-something. 2270-something. 79. Let's call it 77. 2277. You, you go back home. Because the vault is literally just up on a hill above where you used to live. Right. And so the first place you go is home, and your old robot buddy Codsworth is still there, <laughs> been trying to wax the nuclear fallout out of the floors for two centuries. <laughs> um, but uh, basically it's like a bunch of ruined houses or, you know, houses that are barely still standing, etc. And when I got there this time... There was just two houses. There was the house where the workbench is, uh-huh. and there was my old house, and that was it. Everything else was just, the road was all nice and paved and clean. There wasn't junk lying everywhere, and it was just grass. Wow. I'm like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> and there are some settlements that look completely different. Wow. Completely different. Like, there's this one that is called County Crossing uh-huh. that used to basically have this small ruined house and, like, a, a hut over here that people had built to, you know, a couple of people had built to sleep in and stuff like that. Now there's an actual house oh, wow. there that the modder built for the players. Huh. 
And just, you know, it's just been so much fun. And there are settlements I haven't even been to yet that I haven't seen what has happened with them. So I've got my pre-walled settlements, I've got my no-build limit, and I've got my clean and smooth stuff. And that is making building so much more joyful for me. Because <laughs> I'm not spending all of this time scrapping everything. Yeah, um... Knowing video gamers and being one myself, you know there's probably people doing like a Springfield from the Simpsons kind of settlement. No, totally. <laughs> Trying to base buildings on actual things from their nerddom, whatever that happens to be. I'm sure they do. But the thing is, is that settlements aren't geographically very big. There yeah. are there are borders to that. So, so you might have like Moe's Tavern, the Simpsons house, mm -hmm. you know, four or five different buildings. Maybe the church. Yeah. And and couple that with all of the fun stuff you can find in the Creation Club. Yeah. Which requires points to buy. And, of course, it costs money to get points. Yeah. But there have been some fun things in there, like the holiday pack. Oh, yeah, you were having fun with that. I have had so much fun with that. I actually got that around Christmas time last year, and I was decorating everything. Yep. Christmas everything. tree over here. Christmas tree over there. Yeah, just just the funniest kind Fireplaces. of stuff. There were outfits, yeah. too. There were sexy Santa outfits. There were regular Santa outfits. There were dog antlers. Nice. There were just so many things. One of the things I really love from that group is the brick fireplaces that oh, yeah. you can put in places with actual fires. Mm -hmm. So just having a fun time because Fallout 4, I mean, I've had it for like almost four years now. And yet it's still my one of my go-to games when I just want to blow off steam. Oh, heck yeah. It's like some people with Skyrim. Mm -hmm. I've, I've played that game. Well, and the thing is that the game never really ends. I mean, yeah, you'll get to the end of the main quest, but the game still continues. Mm -hmm. And I've played through that, I don't know how many times now. It's probably been a dozen. And I just recently started over again because I just was like, oh, I, I want to try this clean and smooth settlement mod, and they recommend starting a new game with that. So, hey, let's just start a new game. Yeah. So, good times over there in the post-apocalyptic world <laughs> of Fallout 4. Nice. Uh, where do you want to begin with our reviews, then? Well, do you want to go in chronological order? Uh, sure. That's as good as anything. Well, it's hard to say, uh, because there were two things that we start we saw on the same day, or one that we started on the same day and the other that we saw. Right. Which is Spider-Man Far From Home okay. and Stranger Things. Right. Uh, let's go ahead with Spider-Man. 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 Does whatever speeder con. Yeah. And are we going to do spoilers? I guess so. Because it's kind of hard to talk about a thing without spoiling it. It really is. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man Far From Home, don't listen to this. <laughs> so yeah, um, here's here's a funny thing. I don't know, I didn't know that much about Mysterio going into this movie. But I did have a vague remembrance that he was not a good guy. Right. And so I thought... Well, wait, are they making Mysterio a good guy? Yeah. I, I don't think that's possible. Yeah, I'm pretty sure most people knew he'd be a villain, even just tangentially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after the movie, when I looked up the character's history, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And there were things that I that I read that I'm just like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Yeah. Wasn't he in the comics a special effects guy? Uh, no, he was an actor. Okay. He was a failed actor yeah. who had a penchant for technology and right. such. So, yes, he was gifted with technology, much like Tony Stark. 
And in the comics, I don't recall him working for Tony Stark. No, I like that touch. I do, too. That makes a lot of sense and connects yep. things. It makes it a personal connection for Peter. Yeah, especially to have his invention given that dumb name of Barf. Because <laughs> it's like just Tony flipping him off. Oh, God, yes. Take his technology, use it for something kind of minor, mm-hmm. and then rename it something stupid. Yeah. No wonder he'd be pissed off. They they honored the comics without copying the comics. Because yes. Mysterio's first big thing is him trying to frame Spider-Man for a museum robbery. Uh-huh. It doesn't go off well. Yeah. And so he just full-on becomes a villain. But his thing was, you know, trying to make himself look like the hero. And that comes from that whole acting thing, whereas in this movie, his motivation is different and I think actually makes more sense right? than just a disgruntled actor. Disgruntled former employee makes a lot more sense. Yeah, and even the disgruntled actor, it's like the penchant for technology, it's like, why not make him a special effects guy? Yeah. Or a failed stage magician, something like that, mm-hmm. where he was into smoke and mirrors. The introduction of elementals was interesting because what could Spider-Man do against them? Uh, nothing. Yeah, and that the way they treated Mysterio, or the way he concocted the special effects, you know, the illusions, was very Doctor Strange. Very. With how he'd create mystical force fields and the kind of green spheres and circles and triangles and that sort of thing. But it was all technology instead of... You know, spiritual energy. One of the drones does get destroyed accidentally. And that's, you know, uh, MJ finds it and ties that with Peter being Spider-Man, which he already suspected. (laughs) She was 69% sure. Yeah. But just with being a web slinger and having the drone set up, it seems like a plan that was meant to fail. Because you think even accidentally Peter would make contact with one of the drones but he wouldn't really because mysterio whatever his faults may be was very precise well and knew exactly how to get around all of the possible situations that might blow his cover so to speak i suppose but there's always that randomness that and especially for just a randomly flung web or just Peter going in a direction you wouldn't expect him to. The drones are all inside this terrible thing. You know, whatever terrible thing they're projecting. Yeah. No one's going to go inside that. No. No one's going to be able, going to even get near it because it's still causing physical (laughs) damage. Yeah. And you can still feel the effects. Like, yeah, it's a hologram, but there are physical damage things going off with the other drones and they're also creating heat and light and you know could kill you didn't they actually use guns to wreck Mm -hmm. certain things oh yeah don't you think that leave evidence of bullets behind or what do you think they're using as ammunition i couldn't say it could be concussive i don't know Yeah, there's just little pieces of mysterio's plan that you start pulling threads at and it just doesn't quite make sense. It's a comic book movie with technology that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. But, you know, this is something else we could have reviewed is Savage Builds. Oh, yeah, yeah. With with Adam Savage mm-hmm. of Mythbusters. He has a new series where 
he gets to build whatever or recreate whatever. Like recently he did the whole nitroglycerin if you drop the bottle and have it explode kind of thing. But the first episode was him building a practical Iron Man suit mm-hmm. out of titanium armor. And it was proven to be bulletproof and seemingly explosion Yes, it's very. It was very shielding against explosives. And then to connect it to a practical jetpack kind of thing, that uh, he could actually fly in it as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's pieces of of the Iron Man technology. Yeah, you have to take a leap of faith with the arc reactor and how that works. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah. Again, it's all comic book stuff. It's yep. all fiction. Yeah. It's based in reality, but it is not reality. And you have to stop dissecting everything because you can't make it make sense in reality. <laughs> that's why it's a fantasy. Yeah. That's why it's an adventure. Yeah, you can still struggle with it if you know if you're not if you can't make that leap that that the uh, the movie is asking of you. Well, can you make that leap that there is a multiverse? Uh, yes. Can you make that's... that leap that there's a, a being like Galactus or Dormammu? Or... Ooh, those are hard. <laughs> yeah, but again... The Dormammu especially because he supposedly exists out of time, and how does that work? Because it's a brain breaker. We, because we have a very limited perception yeah. of time. Yeah. Think about the, the aliens in the wormhole in Deep Space Nine. Right. Time does not exist to them. Yeah. All time is the same. Right. They don't know the difference between past, present, and future. It's yeah. all the same all the time. Yep. Yeah. And Galactus I've always struggled with. The giant purple helmeted guy going around eating planets. Yeah, what's with the helmet? Yeah. It's what? very Jack Kirby thing. But <laughs> Yeah, Galactus is just like, uh also whole silver surfer power cosmic thing is weird too. So Well, I mean Hulk. Um, just mutants in general. Just all of those things yeah. are fantasy. Yep. And I am fine with it. Yeah. So I did struggle a little bit with that. Also, what's the end game? I, is to, I guess, fill in the gap that Tony left behind to be the next Iron Man? To, to be a hero, to take control of the world, and uh, be the person that everyone comes to. Yeah. And basically, that that's, he's basically controlling the world. Right. It's like, it seems like it's more responsibility without getting anything back from it. Because how is he going to make money from this? You know, that seems to be his end game is to profit off it somehow. It'll become... He's making it seem like he's the only person who can handle any of this. Right. His technology is... Well, his magic. But his technology really is the only thing that's keeping the Earth from certain destruction. Yes. That kind of belief and power makes you able to do a lot of things, especially monetarily. Yeah. So, Well, yeah. it's like Trump becoming president is it put him under a microscope where certain fraudulent activities he had in his life as a businessman are now on fuller display it seems like the same kind of thing could happen if you're a villain that wants to pretend to be a hero well see that's the thing though he's not in an elective office no he doesn't actually answer to anyone well also at the ending and of course this is all spoilers he seemingly dies but we're also dealing with somebody who's a master illusionist so even then how do we know for sure he died i don't know i kind of think he died yeah and that um he left some plans in place in that 
eventuality that he exposed Peter Parker as being Spider-Man and also framed him framed for him for the uh, the drone attacks. But also for murdering for Mysterio. Murder. Yeah, mis- murdering Mysterio. Which is way scarier. Yeah. And he said more than once that he had always had a contingency plan. Yep. So there was stuff that was set to happen in the event of his death. And threatening his own team because you needed a team to control all these special effects. It's not something he could do on his own. Mm-hmm. He probably didn't truly show how unbalanced he was until he was he had gotten what he wanted. Right. Which was Edith. Yeah, the, the power. Oh yeah, we should talk about Edith. So Edith is what Tony Stark left Peter Parker basically in his will, mm-hmm. which is access to all this military hardware. Uh, well, just a crap load yeah, of things. Yeah, cra- crap load of, you know, this, the whole network upon which Tony would access and, you know, satellite systems and all this kind of stuff for surveillance and uh, defense. Mm-hmm. So he left that to Peter in the form of a pair of glasses. Yes. A pair of sunglasses that are definitely in the style of Tony Stark. Exactly in the style of Tony yeah. Stark. The whole idea is to have Mysterio and his team fool Peter Parker into handing over Edith. Mm-hmm. Because Mysterio would be seen as being more worthy of them. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because if you look at the early days of Peter Parker, he wanted so bad to be an Avenger. If you look at Homecoming, he wanted to be considered the same you know, as an Avenger. That he wanted to take on more responsibilities. And he would fail often. And Tony was there saying, yeah, you're not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And then when he is ready and Tony has left him the sunglasses access to Edith, uh, Peter doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because of the blip? Do you think it's because of just what the whole experience with Thanos? I don't. I think it's a combination of things. But I think the number one thing is because he lost Tony. And he doesn't want to lose anyone else. He just wants to live the life of a teenage student yeah he doesn't want the weight of the world on his shoulders yeah because when he's going on this european trip aunt may packs his suit for him yep because you know she kept telling him you know you should take a suit with you you never know what might happen he's like nah because he doesn't want that responsibility he doesn't want to be a superhero no he does but just in, as a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Oh, he wants it. He wants just it on a, a very small scale that small he scale. can control. He doesn't want to fight world-ending villains. Yeah. Because yeah. he's already been through that. Yeah, when he was pulled in by Mysterio and what we thought was Nick Fury and Maria Hill. Oh, yes. When we have one clue, one, in the movie uh-huh. that that I should have picked up on and did not. And it's when Peter is saying to Nick Fury, surely there's somebody else who is going to be better at doing this, you know. And he starts naming off superheroes, and he says, Captain Marvel. And Nick Fury says, do not invoke her name. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I just thought that, and I just thought, yeah, well, I know they have a history, but yeah. his, I, I've never seen him regard her with that air of reverence. It seems like the one he gets along with the most is Captain Marvel. They seem like really good friends. Yeah, good friends, yeah. but there isn't this oh, yeah. sort of attitude towards her. And so, and I, and as soon as that passed through my head, it was gone again, and we were moving on in the movie. Right. And so, 
I should have picked up on that. And when we got to that final credit sequence and they were scrolls, it was Talos and his wife. I'm, I'm just there thinking, okay, how did the, wait, did that <laughs> come out of nowhere? And then I remembered that one line. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. well played. Well played. And how long has he been imitating Nick Fury? I understand that. I think even by the Russells are saying the Nick Fury at the end of Endgame is the real Nick Fury. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought is that that was really Nick Fury because yeah. he was blipped. So there was no one for the Skrulls to imitate. Right. At that point. Unless they are doing that during the five years. Who knows? But then the Avengers knew Nick Fury was gone, so yeah. Nick Fury must have asked them to cover for him. Yeah. They knew at the end of Infinity War. They knew that Nick and Maria were gone. Right. Because they found Nick's pager, yeah. which had was summoning Captain Marvel. Yeah. So it wouldn't have worked for them to impersonate them during that time. So it had to have happened after the events of Endgame. Uh-huh. Uh, Tom Holland is adorable as Spider-Man. Oh, I love Tom Holland so much. Considering he's a dancer and a gymnast, a lot of the stuff he'll do himself, so it's a good fit. Well, it's not just that. I mean, even the motion capture stuff is him in a motion capture Mm -hmm. suit. Yeah, there are wires and stuff like that, but it's it's him, you know? There's very little he can't do himself. Yeah, and I think that's a good touch, is that the physicality of the actor combined with just his screen presence. It's a good mix for for the character and his single-minded plan to uh, confess to MJ his feelings. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't be that narrow focused on delivering that because there's too many fail points in his plan. Yeah. It's like you just need to take, you know, feel the moment, find the right moment and just confess your feelings. Well, and I personally feel like there isn't a right moment Right. Because all it takes is honest communication. And they were both failing on that because they're teenagers. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. This is what teenagers do. Nobody is good at communication when they're a teenager. Nobody. To parallel their, you know, passing ships throughout most of the film, you have his best friend (laughs) hooking up along the trip. A full relationship. Ned and Betty. Yeah, Ned and Betty were... Not really not interested in one another. They find a couple of things in common. They have a traumatic experience together. Yeah. With plane turbulence, and that's the beginning. And so they're on this accelerated relationship path to the point where they're like an old married couple. It's like, mm. did you take your medicine? Did you, did you take your vitamin C? <laughs> and then at the end, there's this amicable separation where, well, we're still friends, but it wasn't working out. And it was just very mature, very adult look at relationships and that was just so just funny. funny to see the acceleratedness of it oh with the uh, peter parker being exposed by mysterio you think being uh what is he a zenial Zen- what do they call it it doesn't matter yeah whatever generation he is but being so tech savvy and being so clever and smart you think he would be able to use social media to counteract whatever mysterio is doing Yeah, I don't know yet how they're going to handle that. Yeah. And that's fine. What I love the most about that whole mid-credits sequence is J.K. Simmons reprising his role as J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, and basically being Alex Jones from 
from uh, InfoWars. Yes, which I feel like is a nod to the video game. Right. The Spider-Man video game. A bit. It probably is also happening in the comics. I haven't read all the Spider-Man comics. Uh-huh. Because there are so many people. I don't know how I could possibly read all of those, even in my lifetime. But it's definitely a big part of the Spider-Man video game. Whereas he has a podcast. Right. And it's just always fucking on. Mm. I had to find a way to turn it off. And I had to find, I had to look it up on the internet to do it because it's not obvious. It's like Rush Limbaugh or something. Yeah. It um. was, it was, it was such a wonderful surprise. Love J.K. Simmons. It's kind of funny and in very sitcom-y ways. I enjoyed that. Got good comedy, I thought. Mm-hmm. Very charming. The special effects sequences are amazing, especially like when he's in illusions. Oh, yeah. And like a um, little nod to Marvel Zombies when uh, Tony Stark comes out of the grave. You mm-hmm. saw you see Iron Man with the skull inside the mask. Yes, I thought of that too. Yeah, and having MJ fall off the Eiffel Tower mm-hmm. is kind of a nod to the death of Gwen Stacy. So, yeah, it's a really remarkable film. I enjoyed it. It's not like top tier Marvel for me. I don't think. Homecoming was either. Spider-Man's kind of in that, that like, middle ground for me. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as Spider-Man films, where does it rank? Into the Spider-Verse is still my favorite, but for the Tom Holland ones, yeah, they're enjoyable, but I'm not, like, no, I'm but, not, like, championing But them, is Far them. From Home better than Homecoming? Oh. For you. I think they're about on par with one another. I enjoyed... Michael Keaton's vulture as a villain more. Oh, he was really great. But I loved Jake Gyllenhaal. I loved him too because he has this Tony Stark kind of quality to him. Mm-hmm. And it's a little disappointing that they didn't actually do an alternate universe thing, but they might be doing that with Fantastic Four and the X-Men when well, they see, get introduced. The thing is, though, Into the Spider-Verse may not is not canon to what we know of the cinematic universe yeah. because it takes place on a different earth yeah. right there though it does explain that there are all these other earths so they have already opened that mm-hmm. up well in game 2 when they're dealing with time travel and yes. the possible repercussions from changing events mm-hmm. you create possible alternate universes yeah, and don't even get me started on Sue Storm and Reed Richards' son, who can literally create universes. And Mysterio, or Quentin, who's his actual Quentin character's Beck. name, talks about which universe they're in, that mm-hmm. they're in the 616, which is the main Marvel universe, mm-hmm. because Fantastic Four came out on June 16th. And so 616 is the Marvel Universe. It's, you know, the de facto one. Mm-hmm. While all the other ones are these alternate universes. And so when Quentin's saying it's the 616, it's like, is he just making that out of his top of his head? Is it just an Easter egg for fans? Or I, is there something to it being the 616 universe? And is he correct? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say... I don't, I don't... It's hard for me. It's, yeah. It's... It's obviously an Easter egg yeah. for fans, but whether he knew the truth or not, I couldn't say. Probably, it's possible that he did. Right. It's possible that he did. So I wouldn't be surprised if if it actually turns out that he knew for real. Oh, and their bus driver, Dimitri, uh, is listening to the Now Playing podcast, and I think they mentioned something about him being a possible future villain, too. 
cool. <laughs> because the Spider-Man universe is full of odd villains. Yeah. Oh, and some yeah. of the weirdest. Well, Mysterio so, is one of the longest enduring in the comics. Yeah. Uh, Craven the Hunter would be interesting if they introduced that character. Because with all these uh, rich white men going off and killing drugs, giraffes, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, to have that kind of character, you can see him being such a reprobate, you know, this uh, big game hunter. Yep. Going after Spider-Man because he's big game. And it kind of works, too, if Spider-Man is uh, on the out for being, ex- you know, framed for murder. Mm-hmm. To have Craven go after him as a bounty hunter would be an interesting sequel. Yeah, I mean, it was bad enough to have Peter exposed. I mean, it was bad enough to expose Spider-Man as a murderer, which is not what he was, but to frame him for murder, but also to reveal his identity, because now he has no safe harbor. Right. Wow, we're already about 45 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, one thing that I forgot to talk about when okay. I was talking about Fallout 4, because I right. said I had a similar story to the one you were telling about the uh, people in Grand Theft Auto V that were basically Scientologists. There is in Nuka World, in the outskirts of Nuka World, a group of people called Hubologists. And apparently this was a religion that was founded by some guy named Dick Hubble before the war that uh, was based on all your unhappiness is from uh, spirits in your mind. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's Scientology. That's Scientology. Yeah. Ghosts in your head are the cause of your stress and, and they anxiety. Were, they were always trying to do a, a, you know, trying to clear my, I can't even remember what they called it, but basically this whole mission with them is to get them into their spaceship, which is a ride from <laughs> Nuka World in a junkyard. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty damn funny. What's really funny is that there's one of the uh, NPCs in this group that is supposed to die on the way there, but I'm so awesome, I always keep her alive. That's so And so they'll get to the very end and they'll go, oh, no, not Tula. And I'm like, Tula's standing right there. (laughs) Right there. She's right over there because I'm that good at... Protecting. I, I just, I've said it, my mind to it. I'm like, there has to be a way to get her alive you're to like the, the end. Secret service of Fallout yeah. games. So I was just like, all the rest of y'all, I know you're not going to die. I'm sticking by Tula this whole time, and I keep her alive every time. It's so funny. Anyway, huh. so um, do you want to save the other stuff? I think so. Time? I think we're already deep into the episode. Yeah. We should have figured uh, the Spider Man review would take a while. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about, Spider Man? Because I seem to have dominated a lot of the conversation um thinking 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 um anything stand out to you anything worthy of uh, touching upon i i love um peter's relationship with may now that she knows he's spider-man yeah oh the happy may thing too oh yeah that was weird where happy thinks it's a thing while may's just kind of like we're seeing what's happening summer fling yeah yeah and also the, the peter tinkle Oh, the Peter Tingle. Instead of spider sense, it's the Peter Tingle. And that he relies on that towards the end to defeat the uh, mm-hmm. illusions, mm-hmm. even closing his eyes. Thanks, Marvel. You have now ruined it for all time. Yeah. It's now Peter Tingle. You have Peter done Tingle. this. You have done this. I'm happy looking at uh, Peter as he designs the next spider 
outfit, the black and red one. Oh, that look on his face. Just, oh. Yeah, just seeing him doing Tony-like things mm-hmm. as he's engineering a suit. I, I appreciate their relationship. They finally, uh, Happy finally found a way yeah. to... Well, he struggled to find a father figure, and for a while, Tony was that. And with Tony passing, Happy is now in that role, it seems. Well, sort of. Well, also, uh, Quentin kind of filling in for that, too, kind of mm-hmm. having that... Especially when he says, never apologize for being the smartest man in the room. And you mm-hmm. see both uh, the uh, scroll, Nick Fury and the scroll, Maria Hill, just kind of lower their heads and their eyes like, oh, that was kind of a dig. <laughs> well, to be fair, neither Nick Fury nor scroll nor Talos are the science guys. Yeah. That, they rely on other people for it's, that. It's just uncomfortable because you're basically... Okay, all these people around you are idiots. <laughs> yeah, but again, Maria Hill, also not a scientist. Nope. So, you know, that that actually was fine, but it was probably more a dig at all of the other science people mm-hmm. that were there. Like, I mean, in Captain Marvel, they when Carol determines that Marvel's laboratory is in orbit around the planet, and Talos looks at, at one of the other skulls and says, Was that so hard? <laughs> You're my science guy. Yep. <laughs> How did you miss that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of a clue into Quentin, too, is that you can look at that one way as Mysterio praising Peter Parker for being smart. Mm-hmm. The other is that he's a narcissist who, with, you know, a scientist in his own right mm-hmm. that elevates his own logic, his own intellect over everyone around him. So there's that, you know, that touch of the narcissism when saying that. Never apologize for being the smartest man in the room. Yes. Is that he's saying that about himself, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah I think that was interesting. I liked uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's performance. I, he's an intense actor. If you've seen, uh, was it End of Watch, I think, when he plays a cop? Mm-hmm. That's too hard for me. And there's Nightcrawler, where he's the kind of a paparazzi kind of uh, videographer. Mm-hmm. You know, just goes out and videotapes uh, car wrecks and uh, crime scenes. And then there's that one. Oh, what's the one? Oh, my God. I can't remember. Donnie Darko. Uh, Donnie Darko is very intense in that. Uh, Jarhead. Isn't that a movie where he's in the military and never fires one shot? Well, yeah, <laughs> because Jarhead is a word for a Marine. Yeah. I haven't seen most of these movies because I don't do war movies and nope. I don't do cop movies generally. Yeah, Nightcrawler would be intense for you, too, because he never blinks. Yeah. Well, and I he's just, like super thin in it and very gaunt. And he's just like a creepy. really nice guy. Like Jake Gyllenhaal in person, yeah. super mm-hmm. nice guy. Donnie Darko's creepy. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, I like him too. And this is a nice role for him because you've got a little bit of some charisma from him while also having the playing the heavy. So mm-hmm. it was a nice mix of what he can do as an actor. Yep. Want to go into Dark Track? Let's do it. So Double Eyelid is a mixture of glam rock and kind of gothic post-punk band from Toronto. Not Toronto. 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 (laughs) That's how the people of Toronto pronounce it. Toronto. Nope. Toronto. I know. But we (laughs) say it Toronto. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Being uh, Utahns, we might say it Toronto. 
No, we would say it Toronto. 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 Mountain. Uh huh. So yeah, we dropped the end too. Mountain. Uh-huh. Toronto. Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Anyhow, the band members are Ian Ravel, who is the vocalist and the uh, founder of the band. Carl Moore, uh, Benjamin Mueller, Heeslip, and Sky Shaver. Yeah, they have this kind of uh, mixture of uh, electro goth and glam rock. And their name, Double Eyelid, is a reference to this fold in some people's eyelids where it creates like a, a second eyelid kind of fold thing. Mm. And I think when I played this band before and was talking about the name that I mistakenly referenced it to like the Asian kind of eye fold, but it's not. Mm. Asians have the double eyelid least of people. Right. And so, yeah, just to have this odd fold in your eyelid to... Yeah, it's a very um, weird name for <laughs> a band. Kind of physio... Physio... Physiognomic? Physio... I used to know this word. It's been a while since I've studied genetics and hereditary stuff. Mm. Vulcans apparently have a, a second eyelid. An interior oh, eyelid. Yeah, interior, kind of like... Um, what is it? Sharks do or something like that? Yeah, basically to uh, protect the eye from damaging radiation and oh. stuff like that. You only hear about it in one episode in the original series. Oh, interesting. <laughs> that far back. You think yeah, it's something they would have back. introduced in Enterprise or something? No, it was. Uh, they they had to. Um, I I want to say it was Operation Annihilate. I can't remember now. It was the, but I I want to say it was the episode with the um, amoebas that attached themselves to people, and oh. the only way that they could get it it's I don't know if you want to say venom or whatever out of him was like if they put him in this chamber and bombarded him with a specific kind of radiation. I may be mixing up my episodes. Do ah. not quote me on this. Yeah, well, anytime you mention a space amoeba, it could be one of many episodes. Yeah, well, these looked like piles of vomit. Or was it the greatest generation calls them space buttholes? Yeah, well, these these basically were just, um, I mean, it was the 60s, and they looked like somebody had gone out and bought a lot of fake vomit mm -hmm. and or uh, that's probably not what happened but anyway <laughs> basically it changed who you were you mm -hmm. know it made you aggressive and want to kill everyone there was this possibility that this procedure could blind him and so when SWAT came out he was blind and of course Kirk was super upset and just railing at McCoy and just was like I what 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 was I supposed to do and then he recovers his eyesight. He's like, oh, yeah, I have the second eyelid. <laughs> and this is why Brandy is a Star Trek podcaster <laughs> with Trek FM. Hey, I may not even be referencing the right episode, so do not pimp me like that. Check her out on Live from the Edge, which also have YouTube videos, do they not? Oh, yeah, the uh, you can find it on the Trek FM YouTube channel. You can find all the live videos as they originally aired. Right. Well, shall we play the song? Let's play the song. So, Double Eyelid who's one of those bands that I think, if I got my memory straight, uh, reached me directly ah. with their product. This is a song called The Hanged Woman Ooh. by Double Eyelid. <laughs> Thank you. 
back of her head and took a look at herself She didn't like what she saw so she turned to look at somebody else She pulled her eyes to the back of her head and took a look at her mind A little dangerous to do if you don't know what you'll find
was gonna say is in their list of influences, Roxy Music is one of the first. And I do get that quality to it. And that's kind of where the glam rock theatrical vibe of the band comes from. Roxy Music is kind of that uh, space age style of rock that was popular in the mid to late 70s. Amandul II, I think, is one other such band. Really experimental, psychedelic, great stuff. And you can hear that kind of experimenting with atmosphere in this song. Uh, you were happy to understand the lyrics. <laughs> I was very happy to understand the lyrics. Yeah, very clear upfront vocals. And that's something that Roxy Music has as well. That uh, you can hear the uh, the influence in, in the lyrics and vocals with just presenting them in a very clear upfront manner where you're not going to mistake any of the words. <laughs> A kind of cabaret-style piano, which I found fascinating. Yeah, the um, the discordant guitar was like nails on a chalkboard. For yeah, me. and it that was hard is for me. by design. I could see you kind of wincing at the uh, screeching guitar, but that's like another influencer. They rate is Bauhaus and that is typical of early Bauhaus where guitar is mostly used for effects where they just torture the guitar to get weird sounds out of it. Yeah, it did sound like torture. And so it's really amelodic in that respect Mm. that they're just trying to create mood and kind of horrific mood at that through the guitar. The bass seemed to be pretty muted notes, mm-hmm. just very um, repetitive, just dun, 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 <laughs> on a muted string, which yeah. works for me just fine. Is sometimes that's the funnest bass lines to play is the really standard, repetitive, find the groove and stick to it style and just do a palm mute on the strings. I should do a podcast on bass guitar and just break out my bass and do stuff. Yeah, you should. Maybe I'll do that on a Friday off or something. What else about it? So long song, it's just under six minutes. Pretty lengthy intro, which is something that you always struggle with, I think. I do. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, is like, this going to have lyrics? Trim the fat. Get to the lyrics. Just come out with the lyrics. Just yeah. open with the stanza. No, not necessarily. But I feel like <laughs> if you have a, an intro longer than about 15 seconds, I start to get bored. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm listening to prog rock, because then I expect it. Yeah. Then it's like... Uh, but, the whole event. But that's the thing. Prog rock is progressive. Mm-hmm. The The song changes right. several times throughout its length, so you don't get bored. So you're like listening to a little mini concerto or something. Yeah. It's like, okay, that was the overture. Now we're into the first song, oh, the first th- act. There are dream theater songs that are seriously like 25 minutes long. Oh, I can believe it. Uh, yeah, I think that's all we have to say on Double Eyelid, but yeah, do check out their stuff. Yeah, and I just double-checked, and it was Operation Annihilate. Uh, ah. That was the correct Star Trek episode. And Good to what, know. And Spock volunteered for this procedure, which I remember now. 
And it was intense, blinding light that would cause these aliens to die. Basically, what they were doing is they would inject their DNA into your spinal column and take control of your body. And they were forcing them to build ships to carry them to other planets. Basically, uh, I guess just wanted to take over the universe uh, and whatever. <laughs> anyway, so that was uh, that was the correct episode. Yay me! <laughs> nice. See? You're just... You've got all that Star Trek knowledge in you even before becoming a podcaster. Well, that was one of those episodes when I was a kid that absolutely terrified me. Well, yeah. Because Spock's your favorite character of the original series and to have him be affected by something. Yeah, well, scary stuff. Yeah, because he was, he was being controlled by this creature and doing things that Spock would never do in a million years. But not only that, is these things could hide, you know? They were just... You, they would just be stuck to a wall or under a bridge, and suddenly they're on you, and you're done for. Right. They figured out how to eradicate them. But anyway. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, the Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Doing fine. Doing fine like cherry wine. <laughs> oh, that's nice to hear. <laughs> Had to put off the start of the recording for one of my famous half-hour dumps. <laughs> yeah, we are, we are here about... 27 minutes after the official record time we set on the calendar. You know how it is, Ben. You know how it is. You knew what yeah. you were getting into. <laughs> I knew I knew what I was signing up for when I married him. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Shall we get into the main topic? The main point of this? The point? The point. What is the point of this? The point of this is to get back to the tarot... We were promising to get back into some of our woo occult stuff. Woo woo! So, little disclaimer, the way I look at the tarot is it's an introspective, meditative kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That when you're doing a tarot reading, it's unlocking what's already there. That it's not seeing the forest for the trees kind of situation, where doing a tarot reading allows you to use the symbolism... And story aspects of the cards to unlock what and interpret what's already going on. Right. So even if you do a single card reading meditation thing, it's okay, what's this card saying to me now in this moment? Mm -hmm. And so readings can change for that. Yes. The major arcana of the tarot is the, is the hero's journey of the fool and its experience through life, through maturity. Like, even if you look at each of the major arcana being... A year in a life going to adulthood around you know, 21, 22. Yeah. Depending on your how many cards are in your major arcana. It's usually 21 to 22. Yeah. Sometimes people have that extra card or what have you. But uh, the Fool is numbered zero because it is and is not part of the tarot because it's telling the Fool's journey that it's an unnumbered card. Yes. Even though it's in the reading. So the Fool is... The individual and its innocence and potential and then it encounters the first card the magician and the way i like to compare the major arcana is to the story of star wars yes because the hero's journey 
and the whole Joseph Campbell thing, Lucas really latched onto that to tell this epic, you know, Greek story <laughs> using bits of Flash Gordon and whatever and all the serials that he grew up watching as a kid, you know, that he took th these B-movie serials and added this epic Greek mythology to it and what you end up with is Star Wars. And stole a lot of their names. Oh, and borrowed from other things too, like uh, there's some Wizard of Oz in there. Yeah, but I mean, like he literally stole character names. Oh yeah, like Princess Leia's actual name from Flash Gordon. So is, I think, Piet and Captain Nita mm -hmm. and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things he just flat out ripped flat off. Flat out took. Yep. And now people borrow from him, so it's all... It's a, it's a never-ending yeah. circle. That's art for you. You, uh, you take from the masters and build upon it. So yeah, Luke is basically the fool in the full story. And he encounters the magician, which would be Obi-Wan. Obi a magician representing logic and control of the elements. Then with the second card, you encounter intuition with the priestess, which I look as being Princess Leia as that the priestess is involved with secret knowledge and the unknown mm -hmm. and what is hidden. The third card, the Empress, kind of an Aunt Beru type. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Matronly, very much about life and giving life. The Emperor, not the Emperor from Star Wars, but the Emperor card would be the father figure and is often the source of authority, which would be like an Uncle Owen kind of character. Five is the High Priest, which is about tradition and morality and that sort of thing. And I look at that being kind of like C-3PO, where mm. it's a protocol droid. There's ways you're supposed to do things. <laughs> yes. And then there's violations of protocol. It's all traditional. Then there's the Lovers, which is about trust and uh, making choices, often depicting an Adam and Eve pair. Seven is Chariot. I look at that being like the Millennium Falcon. It's, yeah, but who represents the lovers? What uh, represents the lovers? In I Star would Wars? think Han and Leia would. Okay. Though I guess you could also do uh, C3PO and R2D2. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Except there isn't a lot of whole tr a whole lot of trust going on between no, those two. No, there isn't in the early no. days. Seven is the chariot. It's about challenge and accepting challenge and often movement, travel. Eight is strength. Chewbacca is clearly that kind of thing, but it's also about patience and quiet strength. And it's usually represented as a feminine card. Mm. And being, while uh, the chariot is kind of a competitive strength that you'd look at being very masculine, strength card itself is more feminine about uh, persistence. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that when I hear the word strength, I don't, I'll, I don't think of physical strength first. Yeah. I think of strength of character. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, that's um, just me. strength is often referred to as courage as well, mm -hmm. which is not as associated with the, the chariot. Ninth is the hermit. Of course, Yoda uh, being remote, introspective, wise. Ten, the will of fortune, which is the force itself, which is just the knowledge that things change, mm -hmm. that what's happening now might not happen now forever, <laughs> that things evolve. Uh, then... The last time we talked about the tarot was the justice card, which is about uh, harmony and balance and fairness. And now we're to the hanged man. The hanged man. The tarot developed from an Italian card game. 
So it wasn't originally designed for doing divination or readings or that sort of thing. It's something that developed into that as another way to use the cards. Mm -hmm. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff about Egyptian mythology being included in it, Greek mythology being included with it, Zodiac, astrology. There's being rediscovered by a French monk. (laughs) You know, all this history to the tarot, but really its roots are in card playing in Italy. And that's why the major arcana are also referred to as trump cards because they're used as trumps in uh, playing games. So let's get into the hanged man. Okay. Is the image of a man hanging upside down by one foot from a tree. Often the tree is shaped like a T with the uh, main post in the center, and then there's two limbs going off in either direction, and the limbs are bearing some leaves. The man is held by his... Right foot, leaving his left foot free, I believe. I should look to make sure that's... I'll have to reverse my vision because the way I'm looking at him, the right and left would be reversed, wouldn't it? Yes. Bringing up an image of the hanged man now. So... Yeah, he's hanged by his right foot. He is hang hanging by his right foot. His left foot's free and crossed behind his knee in a figure four kind of shape. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile... His hands are behind his back, though it's unclear whether they're tied or not. A lot of people assume that they're free. <laughs> I would assume that they're tied. Yeah. There's a halo around his head. He's wearing red leggings with a blue tunic, and the background is gray. Now, all this symbolism means stuff. The right side of the body is often considered the um, logical... I guess, righteous, intellectual, grounded part, while the left is more expressive and emotional. And so that he's bound logically, but creatively, he's still free. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that makes actual scientific sense. Uh Uh-huh. Because the left side of your brain controls the right side of your body. Yep. And the right side of your brain controls the left side of your body. Left side of the brain is where your logic centers, speech, mm-hmm. all of those things are over here. Yep. Creative side is your right brain. So that actually, that was <laughs> done before anybody even knew what that shit was. That's crazy. So yeah, if you're left brained, you're, is that right? You're left brained, yeah. you're creative. No, left no, brain is logic. Okay, so Language. left brain, so yeah, if you're bound by the right foot that's controlled by the left brain, that means that you're logically sound. So, where to begin? Okay, the hanged man hanging from a single foot, going back to Italy and the card games, this was sometimes used as a punishment for thieves and other petty crimes, is they hang someone upside down for a little while and then let them go. And so, the concept is that you're being suspended. It's a period of stepping away from things. Mm. Of reevaluation, you're turned upside down, so your perspective changes. Yeah. And so, whenever the hangman appears in your reading, it's a time to reflect, to look around, to cease going forward. Especially if you're already overwhelmed, like maybe you have your fingers in too many pies. Mm. You need to step back and reevaluate and not go forward. You're suspended. While the hermit does this actively, purposefully, this is something that can just be sprung on you. That suddenly you might be overwhelmed and have to just stop for a bit and take stock of what 
the situation is and read the room, you know. While the hermits, they're holding that light that they're illuminating. They already have that sense of purpose and design and they'll hold that light for others. The hangman doesn't have that. But there is this awareness and that's why you get this halo around. It's this spiritual awareness of what's going on, but they're uncertain of how to proceed. That's why the gray background. Right. Gray is confusion. Ah. You don't know what to do. <laughs> so you're just kind of suspended, not sure how to go forward. The red leggings is your passion. And having your one foot being bound is that you might want to do something, but you're hampered. That your ability to go forward is restricted somewhat. While the blue tunic is more of an emotional kind of thing. That you're emotionally free to express your feelings about what situation you're in currently. That you're connected to the tree. Anytime you see a tree, it's a good assumption that it's the tree of life. Mm. And that it's still bearing leaves means it's, it's still creating, it's still producing. That things are still developing even if you're taking a step back. There's always that creative forces that's still churning, that it's bearing fruit. You're just pausing for a moment. I like the uncertainty of the hands. You don't know if they're free or not. So you don't know if he's there willingly or he's put there by somebody else. Mm. It's like, is he, could he get free at any time? Or is he stuck there until somebody lets him down? <laughs> well, unless you're really limber, I don't know how you could get free on your own. Yeah, if you could. Even you, with your hands yeah, free. Yeah, bend at your torso and unhook yourself from the tree and then fall down. So there's this uncertainty as to when or how to proceed. You're not sure exactly when to go forward again. The Hangman is ruled by the planet Neptune, which is one of the mysterious planets in the outer solar system. It's a very stormy, very cold planet, and it has links to emotional awareness. And so here you're dealing with your emotions. It's connected to Pisces. I think it is the planet that rules Pisces, and it's connected to Cancer 2, which are both water signs which are connected to the depths of emotions. Um, what else to say about the hangman? Oh, numerologically, the major arcana and even the uh, minor arcana, they're connected to numerology in that they'll refer to each other, such as the hangman's 12. So with 12, you have the 2 and the 1, or the 1 and the 2, actually. So 1, 2, add those together to get 3 which ties back to the Empress card, which mm. is the mother card, the card of generating life, of producing. And then you have the 21st card, which is the world card, which is about completion. You have the starting of the project with the Empress card. You have the postponement of a project with the Hangman. And then you have the completion of a product or project. It keeps product. You have the completion of a project with the world card. And so you have a nice little three-act play there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the Hanged Man is the cliffhanger at intermission. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's the problem most three-act structures have of the sagging middle mm. is that you have the introduction where you get to learn learn what's going on. You get to meet the characters. You get to 
initiate whatever action is. Then you have the middle of the story where things just kind of are like just suspended. <laughs> and then you have the big climax at the end. So a lot of movies and other forms of entertainment, they kind of sag in the middle because you're just suspending the action until you get to what happens at the end. And it's not quite as exciting at, as initiating the action at the start. Yes. So the Three of Swords also relates to the Hanged Man. In fact, all the three cards of the suits reflect to it because of the whole numerology of three. Right. Three of Swords, you'll often see being a heart stabbed with three swords. Yeah. And its meaning is heartache and grief. And swords, they represent the military in readings, the intellect, the mind, logic. And often swords are the most negative. Mm-hmm. Of the minor arcana cards. True. Because they usually reflect around conflict. Yeah, a lot of downers in there. Yeah. Cups is connected to the clergy and relate to emotions in readings. The Three of Cups shows three people raising cups or glasses up in celebration and friendship. So that's what this card represents. It represents uh, celebrating friends. Now, wands are, or staves are related to creativity. And the Three of Wands shows opportunity and progress. The Three of Coins, or the Three of Pentacles, is connected to physicality, the body, and the merchant class. And the Three of Coins represents apprenticeship, or learning, or collaboration. I've watched a few YouTube videos to see how other people were interpreting the card. There is an interesting take on the hanged man in forms of conflict. Is it's when you surrender. Mm. You give up. You stop fighting. You win by not fighting. It's the peaceful protest kind of thing. The okay. uh, civil disobedience. <laughs> that you don't oppose your enemy. You just allow them a win. And in so doing, in the long run you'll win the war you might lose the battle but you win the war mm. is that there's times where it's not good to fight so you don't that you just step back and just surrender you give in it's like yeah i'm not gonna win this fight i'm just gonna you can have this one and just know that you're right in the end someone was uh mentioning the that it's um let go and let god <laughs> situation where you just uh you no longer put up a fight you just allow things to run their course and it's a very Taoist thing too is there's times when it's not beneficial to go forward yeah and the yi jing it'll say that um when crossing rivers the head gets wet mm. which basically means that it's dangerous to progress because you'll get in over your head and possibly drown true <laughs> So there's times where you have to wait for, you know, the waters to be less deep and then cross. Yeah. So it's all about opportunity, waiting for the right opportunity. Picking your battles. Yeah. The hangman has that kind of quality to it where you're just, you know, kind of looking from afar, just surveying the situation, going, okay, when can I get off this tree and just go forward again? So kind of taking stock. Yeah. It's very reflective, reevaluating card. That's probably its main key phrase is reevaluation. And this could be done by you or done on you. That it might be a time where 
you're being reevaluated. And so you'll be suspended. Like if you're working for a company and they have a change of management. Oh, yeah. Suddenly everything swaps around and you're back into this evaluation phase where this manager has to take stock of you and measure you up. And so during that time, you're suspended. You're not doing what you'd normally do with the same level of confidence. You're kind of put in this uh, suspended animation (laughs) kind of area. Yeah. Or any kind of creative thing, like if you're writing a pilot or a screenplay or something, you know, there might be these times where you're going to sell it to some production company and they change management as well, you know, that they have studio heads leave or perhaps you're an actor with representation. You just had to fire your agent because that happened recently in uh, Hollywood where a lot of people fired their agents over some changes Mm. of how they were doing things. So during that time, you're kind of put in this suspended animation again. Yeah. That you're just directionless. And so instead of just wandering off in a random direction, you have to stop, look around, take stock of where you are, and await another opportunity, which was one of those cards of the Minor Arcana. But there's also the heartbreak, you know, the friendship, you know, finding friends to help anchor you be that compass to show you another direction and of course the you know the apprenticeship and collaboration thing is like maybe this is a time to collaborate and find a way forward from this this pause in your life I mean, is there anything you wanted to say about the hanged man i'm not sure i have anything to add <laughs> <laughs> i'm not one for reverse meanings i think they overcomplicated tarot reading i agree i feel like because the reverse meaning doesn't necessarily mean the opposite. Yeah, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So I just I just don't really consider yeah. that as much. I think that you should take what your whatever your own interpretation is of right. a, a reverse meaning mm-hmm. because what I usually take it as is it's this but to a lesser degree. Oh, that's an interesting take on it because I've often noticed with reverse meanings is they are often somewhat darker, more sinister. Yeah, I don't buy into yeah. that. I and don't... That just makes readings all the more unpleasant. Yeah, I I have never subscribed to that particular point of view. And see, that's the thing, though, is that a lot of this is based on point of view. Right. So my personal point of view is, is if you're going to care about whether the card is upside down or right side up, which generally I don't, but if you are going to care, I like the whole, well, it's this, but to a lesser degree. Just looking at the reversed meanings of the tarot or the hangman, it's more like reflecting it from the situation to you as the individual that you're being headstrong and impulsive. Hmm. And so that's an interesting way of looking at the reversed meaning is it's not about the situation, it's about you. Right. So I like that interpretation. Others mm-hmm. say that it's a time to take action. Mm. That they reverse the actual meaning of the card. That instead of being suspended, it's like, well, right now you are suspended and it's time to stop being that. So the fact that reverse meanings are so open to interpretation also overly complicates things. Yeah, so that's why I generally don't mess with them. Yeah, I don't. I just, that's that's the card's meaning, period. Whether you, in a reading, have it appear upside down in the reading or not. Right, I agree. It just way overcomplicates things for me. Uh-huh. 
Of course, with different decks, you'll have different versions of the Hanged Man appear. Of course. I'm wondering if I can look at a few just to see other interpretations. A lot of them are variations on a theme. The figure four leg position that creates a triangle, which is also a representation of life, which connects back to the Empress card. Yes. Same with the elbows with the arms behind the back. They both form triangles in a reverse way. Yeah, most of them are just people hanging upside down by a single foot. I think of Luke being in the back to tank a bit. Mm. But also more apt is him at in Hoth. Yeah. Where he's frozen to the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah, so he's upside, down. he's upside down. And this is also a suspension of his adventure. Mm-hmm. It's a period where he's been momentarily defeated. He's in a situation where he doesn't know how to go forward. Yeah. In fact, the fact that he leaves the cage and goes wanders out almost leads to his death. He probably would have been better if he had stayed in the cave where he'd been protected from high winds. Yeah, but he also had a monster in there that yeah. wasn't dead. Yeah. Again, with Star Wars, if you look at the Millennium Falcon being inside the space worm or Jonah and the whale, that's kind of a situation like that, too. And you'll see... This trope being used in a lot of stories of being hanging upside down. You'll get that in action movies where they've been captured by the enemy and strung up by their feet. Mm. They're in a period where they can't progress. But it's also a good time to take stock of where you are because this might be the time that the villain reveals their big plan. You know, it's James Bond strapped to the table Mm -hmm. (laughs) about to be cut in half by a laser with, you know, Goldfinger just blabbering on about his big plans yeah well and the thing about being hung upside down is that it's harder for you to get free right it just is yeah all the blood rushing to your head and just having to have the core strength to be able to bend upwards and release yourself yeah it's it's really difficult even if your hands are free it would be very difficult to free yourself from being upside down unless you are again very strong in the core and limber yes well here's an interesting take on the hangman which is done in a burlesque kind of fashion with being a ribbon dancer. Oh, right. Being suspended by a ribbon by a single foot, and then having the hands being slightly bound just to keep oneself <laughs> in the air. Right. But it's a lovely depiction of, of the hanged man. Yes. As a burlesque dancer. Uh, anything else you want to talk about this card in the tarot? Um... Or its role in the... Oh, there's one of a bat hanging upside down. That's nice. Interesting. The Ella Moon tarot. Very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. I was just thinking of a Twitter friend that I have that is making tarot cards from all of the characters in Discovery. Oh, very nice. Yeah, she's doing the Major Arcana. And I'm wondering who she's going to do for the Hanged Man. And I think she should do Culber. Interesting. Right, because died and got... Put into the uh, Mycelium network. Mycelium network. Mycelium network. Yeah. And so when he's reconstituted, he does not know what to Mm. do. He is angry and crippled by indecision. Yeah. So, because he, you know, he tries to assimilate to his old life and he can't. And so he's just at this moment of stasis for Mm -hmm. a while. Yeah, that's a very good representation. Because there's also, in the minor 
count as stuff like the nine and ten of swords, mm-hmm. which are very similar to that too. But that's usually like utter and complete defeat, which he's not. Yeah, it's a pause. It's a time for him to reflect, take stock of his where he is now compared to where he's been, which is what he does. Uh-huh. And by looking back at the road you've walked, you see where you know the road you're going is leading. Wh- yeah, which is. Literally kind of something that Admiral Cornwell says to him because she's a therapist. Mm-hmm. And he, she tells him the only way to forge a new path is to walk it. Yep. Not that this person listens to the podcast, but hey, I think you should use Culver for your hanged man. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. If you're following on Twitter, you can always go, hey, what are you thinking of this character for hanged man? Because there, there won't be enough characters to do more than the major arcana. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Well. When you do the minor arcana, you can just reuse the same characters. Yeah. Just in a different setting. It'd be more like events. True. I guess there's the face cards, too. But you could just do general Starfleet for that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like Queen of Swords, do some kind of widow-type character. Yeah. But anyway, her cards are unbelievably good. Yeah. Like, unbelievably good. And she doesn't know that much about the tarot. But she's done research, Uh you know. I imagine each time she's working on one, she'll learn about that card. So it's a good way to learn the tarot, is to create a tarot deck of your own. Yeah, because so far she's freaking nailing it. Yeah. So, well done. It's like the Giger tarot, which is like, I think it was only the inner arcana, which is the 0 through 9. And then there's the outer arcana, which is 10 up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that covers the hangman. It was nice to get back into the tarot. Indeed. Hope that made sense to you all. All you carbon-based life forms all out there. All you carbon-based life forms out there. Yeah, uh, the hangman. So, uh, we're closing in on our 100th episode pretty soon. This is 98. Oh my word, yes. So we'll have 99 and 100, and then we'll have our anniversary show on 101. Right. So, um, yeah, uh, do you have shout-outs? Yes. Ready? Hey! What's your shout-out, or my, shall I go first? You go first. Okay, my shout-out is something I already mentioned in this podcast. It's The Greatest Generation. It's yet another Maximum Fun podcast, because I listen to a lot of them. Uh, it's uh, Ben and Adam, and they're, I got onto them from listening to the Friendly Fire podcast that reviews war movies. Bunch of, like, very left-leaning liberal types discussing war movies. <laughs> But it's uh, two of the hosts of that talking about The Next Generation and then Deep Space Nine. They also have The Greatest Discovery, which I haven't listened to yet, where they discuss Star Trek Discovery. They claim themselves as being a Star Trek podcast from two people that are slightly embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. Which sounds more mean than it is. Because when you actually listen to the show, they do have a deep love and respect, though they do veer towards the more comedic aspects. But if there's a good episode like Violations, where... Oh, yeah. Yeah, they treated that one very respectfully, and they get a lot of feedback on how well they treated that particular episode of Next Generation, where Troy basically got mind-raped. The way they approached that was very professional. So, yeah, they don't ever really crossed the line too much. <laughs> yeah. And by mind raped we mean she was raped in, in her, her mind. mind. Yeah. Um and wasn't it Riker 
in like at in first, her mind and then at changed first and then changed to this guy who was to doing this, this to her. Well, it was changed to someone. It was yeah. It's like there a was double a red bluff. herring. Yeah, yeah, and it's always really touchy when you have two guys who are talking about a thing about which they have mm. no idea what it's like to experience. Yeah, and they mentioned that several times. A lot of inside jokes, so if you come in later, a lot's going to go over their head. Like, they have a whole thing about the drunk Shimoda, which is a <laughs> yes. character introduced in episode two, two. of Next Generation. <laughs> yes. Was it called things- The Naked Now or something like that, where they, they were all getting drunk from some weird disease? Yeah, it's basically a retread of an original series yeah. episode. Shimoda was the engineer, and he was taking out all these... Uh, isolinear chips mm-hmm. from the warp core and stacking them up like he was doing you know making things out of playing cards kind of thing yeah and so they loved that character and his choices so much that for every episode afterwards they would pick a drunk shimoda <laughs> of the episode each of them would pick somebody who was just doing a weird choice sometimes it's a background character like one of them was an extra just wandering around it was I think a Cardassian ship that landed, and they had a, for some reason, a Bajoran security guy on the ship. <laughs> and he was just wandering around, not knowing what to do with his hands. I'm like, why is he even there? <laughs> I never noticed that. <laughs> I did not ever notice that. Uh, I think with... Um, Next Generation, Worf won the most drunk Shimodas. I would imagine so. Because it kept recognizing that he'd come up to a door and not know how to open it. Mm. He struggled with doors in multiple episodes. It wasn't just one. It's like, oh, there's a door. Uh-oh. Worf. Oh, no. How are you going to deal with this <laughs> obstruction? They had LeVar Burton on for a brief interview because he was doing the LeVar Burton Reads thing for Max Fun. Mm-hmm. Got to talk to him briefly about his failures with women and often very creepy things with women. All the holodeck mishaps. Yeah, which arguably at the time that they aired didn't seem as creepy as they do in hindsight. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of Me Tooisms and. <laughs> yeah. There's. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I do recommend it. It's super funny. They both have anxiety issues so it's fun for them talking about that and i think that's where the embarrassment of having a star trek podcast comes from is they're embarrassed always anyway so whether or not they had a star trek podcast they'd still be embarrassed and talk about i think it was ben who was in uh, some kind of summer camp when he was telling everybody his name was wes oh yeah you told me after about that. wesley crusher i remember that and so their first merch was a t-shirt that said wes hot american summer <laughs> 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 to the point where it like sold out and people still want it. Mm-hmm. So the greatest generation is my shout out. Well, my shout out is also to a podcast, which Woo! is uh, one that's actually been going on since 2015, but I only recently discovered it due to the recommendation of a couple of friends, and it's called My Dad Wrote a Porno. And it's this uh, lovely British gentleman named Jamie, whose dad... Uh, in his retirement, just suddenly decided that he was going to write pornos. Nice. And self-published them on Amazon. He had this idea of having his friends James and Alice come over and would uh, read them the chapters. 
So one chapter at a time for each podcast. At the time, he did not realize that when his father gave him the the first book, that there were already four books he had finished. Wow. He basically bangs them out in like a day or two. So to speak. Exactly. They're all they're about this character named Belinda. The first one is called Belinda Blinked. Then Belinda Blinked 2, Belinda Blinked 3. Also with this very long title after it that really mm. should have been a blurb. <laughs> Every single one of them. And it's, it so, is amazingly horrible. So you're saying the subtitle under the title should have been what was on the back of it describing what happens in the book. Yes. In many cases. It's, and the blurbs were actually such a long plot summary that they were more than a page. <laughs> it's like titles of episodes of the Friends television channel if they just kept going. Uh-huh. The one with the dog that then did this, that then did that. <laughs> yeah, it it's exactly like that. It is oh, wow. exactly like that. <laughs> and they are very funny. Jamie, Alice, and James are so great. The way that Jamie reads them, he is now in... in Season two, which was for the second book, gotten into doing different accents and voices for oh, the characters. <laughs> which there's this one character, Bella, that she's basically a receptionist and she gets to go on all of these trips now with Belinda for no apparent reason. <laughs> it's like, who's answering the phone back at Steel's Pots and Pans? And so, and she's always drinking and always eating. And so, now her voice is just like this. Oi, Belinda! <laughs> It's like the Emmanuel <laughs> series of erotic films written by a crazy person. If if you took all of what was supposed to be erotica and described it in very clinical terms with absolutely no knowledge of a woman's anatomy. Yeah, yeah it's always weird when erotica is written with the, like, the medical terminology. Mm-hmm. Like you're telling me about the cervix in Yeah, there's grabbing scene. of a cervix. That's not possible. Yeah, at most you could not. fish hook a cervix. Exactly. Exactly. You cannot grab a cervix. He also seems to have trouble with where the clitoris is. Big surprise. Yeah. Oh, Greatest Generation makes jokes about that all the time when yeah. they talk about something like something that's hard to find. Mm. It's, it's like, not. I, I hear it doesn't even exist. <laughs> yeah. It is. I keep looking for it. Never find it. It is super not hard to find. <laughs> super not hard to find. Yep. Ask any woman. She can point you right to it. It's the anterior end of the vulva beneath the glands. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, just like I basically. Think it has a thousand nerve endings. Something oh my like lord. That. Well, and the thing is, is that it's much bigger than people actually believe. Yeah. It is actually. I mean, you have the little the little button, as I like to call it. But that is attached underneath the skin to something that completely encircles the vaginal opening mm. and goes deeper within the, the vaginal tunnel. So, yeah. Yeah. Clitoris, bigger than you think. Um, so, <laughs> the more you know. The more you know. So um, I highly recommend it. Do not listen to it without headphones because there is a lot of sex, horrifying sex in some cases, and language. Yeah, not and, safe for work. Yeah, definitely not safe for work. Uh, also, if you're listening to it in public on headphones, you will find yourself bursting into spontaneous laughter. Because yep. it is 
so funny. And this podcast has garnered this worldwide following. Oh, yeah. And they started doing what they called footnotes podcasts <laughs> in between each chapter. They have had uh, guests such as uh, Daisy Ridley, mm. Michael Sheen. Wow. Thomas Middleditch. Oh, cool. A couple of other people whose names I cannot remember off the top of my head. Uh-huh. The Michael Sheen one is probably my absolute favorite because he proved he was such a fan just conversationally. Yeah. That he had listened to all of these podcasts. And in fact, at the time of recording of that particular podcast, we were in this cliffhanger between this one chapter called Texas USA and another one called Jim's Secret. And that's the one I told you about that had the most nauseatingly horrifying sex scene I have ever heard described in my life. Yeah. Of course, I haven't gotten to the other two books yet, so there may be something down the road to top that. But And and this is written like my dad wrote a porno Mm -hmm. with no knowledge of sex. Pretty much. How he has five children, I could not tell you. Must be the wife taking care of everything. Uh, Yeah. So check out My Dad Wrote a Porno. Because it is funny. It is just funny. Really unbelievable. Yeah, I think your warnings, I'd have to go to Greatest Generation 2, is yeah, it's not safe for work. Mm-hmm. They do blue comedy, but it's really, really funny. Yeah. And it comes from uh, two very good-hearted, <laughs> meekly-mannered people, <laughs> individuals. Yes. Well, and I should explain, too, that with Jamie, James, and Alice, James is gay Uh and also has no idea how female anatomy works. Makes sense. So he's useless. And they're they're always turning to Alice to to be like the spokesperson for all women, and she hates that. (laughs) Yep. She's She's like, like, I can tell you about my experience. They had had a doctor friend of theirs on so that they could ask him questions like, can you grab a cervix? And he's Uh like, no. (laughs) You can't even... See a cervix from outside without a speculum. Mm-hmm. So, dad wrote a porno. My dad wrote a porno. It's delightful nice. and sometimes nauseating in, in the best and funniest way. Oh, one other thing with the Greatest Generation is they have a board game that they play during their Deep Space Nine thing where every once in a while if they fall on a particular square, they have to record an episode in a certain fashion like drunk like they have a quirks bar one mm. they have mourn hammered one where they have to do to take a shot per minute <laughs> yeah they have one that's measure of a man where they have to take opposing views oh wow of the episode wow and disagree with one another even if they do agree with one another wow one where they take copious notes one where they take no notes so, so basically, they're doing Riker and Picard, where Riker mm-hmm. has to prosecute Data's yep. rights, and Picard is defending them. Exactly. Because, yeah, they had this thing called the veto for the next generation, where either one of them could veto an episode mm. that they didn't want to see. And I won't spoil how that works out <laughs> between the two of them, but well, it is rather funny. Spoil it for me after. I will. Anyway, now that this shout-out section has been longer than a review of Spider-Man Far From Home. Yep. Um, we should we'll close let up. You go. Yeah, we'll let you go. We'll be back with episode 99. Yeah, so see you next time. Bye. We are the angels of the dark. Out of the shadows, you see our spark. To keep you safe from any pain.
have been listening to the Dark Corner Podcast with Dr. Brandy Sexy Voice and me, DJ Evil Dave. Special thanks go to Tom Elliott and The Strange and Deadly Show for kindly hosting our podcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or just share us with your weird friends. You know the ones. The intro and outro music is Angels of the Dark by Studio X versus Simon Carter. You can find them on the Alpha Matrix record label. The Dark track was offered for free as a promotional song or was submitted directly by the artist or artist's representative and no violation of copyright is intended. You can like our fan page and group on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at DarkCornerCast. Brandy is BrandyWine12, Brandy with an I. If you have feedback, you can contact us at thedarkcornerpod at gmail.com. Now get out there and build levels. We are the angels of the dark. Out of the shadows, you see us bark. To keep you safe from any pain. We spray our wings and fall through the rain. Have evil.